0: Welcome to the Has Been Hoops podcast, now brought to you by Hoop City, Australia's number one basketball training facility. Wertho, if you want to raise your game in preparation for the NBL 1 season, visit the team at hoopcity.com.au to find your nearest location, actually coming to Perth very soon. But Wertho, the NBL Championship, we've got to start there, the Sydney Kings, go back to back.
1: Yeah, uh, what a great game. Like for a game five, that's everything that you want in a game five. I loved the way that New Zealand came out and punched uh, Sydney in the mouth and looked to have the upper hand, but the grit and determination of a champion. You can never underestimate a champion. And um, there was no bigger champion, I don't think, than Angus Glover uh, come that fourth quarter and with sore ribs, uh, speculated as broken ribs, uh, that horrendous three which he got back and then dunked on a couple of people and three-point shot when he was in clear pain and agony. Uh, That was just an unbelievable effort by the Sydney Kings and an even bigger effort by Angus Glover to lift his team and and the Kings to back-to-back championships. As I watched
0: it go down the stretch, I agree, and we'd mentioned Angus Glover, we thought, was potentially in the conversation for grand final MVP. Um, And even through that game, the the plays he made were huge. But it really was Derek Walton Jr. down the stretch who almost quite literally grabbed the ball in the backcourt and nobody else touched it. He took on the pressure of of shot-making when the New Zealand breakers weren't. Uh, The long two got himself on the rim and... Yeah, Angus Glover, if Walton missed, went and found his times, but it really was Derek Walton Jr. who was a difference between those two teams down the stretch. And as, as talented as the breakers were, that 13 0 run late in the fourth was a horrible time for maybe what we predicted for the for the breakers to have one of their quiet spells when you know they they just got a little bit I want to fix this, a little bit individual. We haven't scored in a while and now it's my turn. That was Kind of their Achilles heel if there was to be one this year and it probably was magnified in the last few minutes down the stretch. But congratulations to the Sydney Kings. Any other takeaways uh, from this series? Were they you were a part of a Sydney Kings team that, uh, well, had just come off back-to-back-to-back championships? It's a hard thing to do. The the Kings have been there before. Um, What are your takeaways moving forward from the series and moving into the off-season?
1: Um. I'll ask this question to you first. Do you think Sydney won game five or did you think New Zealand lost game five?
0: Well, I mean, there's always moments where you see both. Um, Like I said, I think New Zealand got a little bit individual down the stretch, but at the same time, as I just described, so did Sydney. It just so happened that Sydney's individual was better than New Zealand's individuals in that fourth quarter.
1: Which is what we talked about previously, right? We talked about the talent of the Sydney Kings being a little bit better than the rest of the league and, and whatnot. And I was disappointed to see Will McDowell-White getting phased out in that second half. Oh, he had a great start to the game. He was on track, you know, those, those triple-double numbers that we look at Will McDowell-White as a potential, those 16-8-8 eight eight games. He is well in, on, on track to get something along those lines again but it just seemed to get phased out in the second half due to more individual one-on-one play by the breakers and less system. I thought once when New Zealand were running their system, their system looked better than the Sydney Kings, the way that their ball movement was getting back into that middle pick and roll with Will McDowell-White. His uh, ability to finish just below the free throw line as well as having the lob threat of Pardon. There was a lot to like about that New Zealand squad and how they went about their business. But for whatever reason, the second half, they went away from that and the Kings capitalised. See, here's the thing. So much
0: in Australian basketball, more than almost anywhere else in the world, it's that exact word. It's a system and it's execution of your offence where you've just got to expect that to get, that gets taken away in a five-game series. And that is where unequivocally... To win an NBL championship, you need top-end talent who can create their own shot because at the end of the day, winning an NBL championship, as we've just seen, is going to come down to one-on-one basketball or two-on-two basketball in a mid-pick-and-roll game. Uh, the shooters will space the floor, but it'll come down to somebody being able to create an advantage for the rest of their team. You are not going to win an NBL championship on execution and structure. Just um, uh,
1: on, on the MVP Voting, I'm not sure if you saw the list and the, the the votes that came out. So obviously we had Derek Walton Jr. win it with 31 votes. Uh, and this is voted on a 3-2-1 premise after sure. every game by the panellists. Uh, Justin Simon, second uh, with 27 votes and probably who most people probably would have thought could have potentially have won it. If they had a um,
0: one in game four, potentially, yes. But yeah. he also had a quiet game four.
1: Uh, Will, Will McDowell-White with 24 votes, as well as Jarrell Brantley. Uh, Xavier Cook's 18 votes. I'm not sure how he got his 18 votes as much as I love Xavier. Sure. That, that was an over-exaggeration. Uh, Quatnoy, 10. Barry Brown Jr., 10. Angus Glover, three votes for the what? entire series. How in the world is that even possible? And then you got DJ on two, Hunter with one, and Suarez with one. Uh, and I can only assume that Suarez' one vote came in game three, and Geordie Hunter's uh, vote maybe came in game one or two. Um, but Angus Glover with three votes. Now, I thought he was part of the conversation. I, that he'd said, be.
0: You know what? I, I was a part of uh, that voting panel. Uh, The year Melbourne United won the championship, actually, and the conversations we had after each game were really, really interesting in the perspective in which you see a game. But it's exactly that. It's value to your team. Good things happened when Angus Brandt was on the floor and I I take on board.
1: Angus Glover, Angus Brandt uh, was probably probably not on the court.
0: um, Angus Glover was, granted, he played less minutes. But he had such a positive impact and he was your dictionary description of what you want a role player to be. And I uh, describe value. I I, I think he was Sydney's second best player. I think he was better than Xavier Cooks over the duration of this series. Now, in no way, shape or form am I saying he's a better player than Xavier Cooks. Um, But for him to only have three votes, that astounds me.
1: Yeah, I, I was disappointed to say that and probably has, a yeah, it, it sort of left the voting with a bad taste in my mouth of the people casting the votes for him to only get three votes. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't think he would have won it, but I would have thought that he would have been in the top probably five in oh. in that series easily. And you could probably make the case even the top three. Um, for his impact of what he bought uh, for that series.
0: No, I agree. Now, uh, I actually didn't watch the game live. I, I was at the WNBL semi final game between the Southside Flyers and the Melbourne Boomers and saw another incredible game of basketball that came right down to the wire in a do or die game. And tell you what, I, I was concerned going to the game that the scheduling of the NBL Game 5 against game three of a semi-final series in the WNBL would have a really negative impact, impact on the WNBL. But that State Basketball Centre was nearly packed. It was loud. Surprisingly, and I take the, you know, on board, they're both Melbourne-based teams, but the Melbourne Boomers fans at the Southside Flyers home game were much louder. Uh, and it looked for all game like they were the better Melbourne team. Christy Wallace fouled out. Early in the fourth quarter, she picked up a couple of probably ill-advised cheap fouls. You know, dropped the shoulder to create some space in the backcourt, and Matty Rochi flopped, and you know, back and forth in that last minute. And yeah, you know what, Whenever you get a great game, and it was a great game, you always want a great ending. But but the ending, yeah, the the Boomers were a point down. They came up with a stop. The Flyers missed their. Your ability to go ahead by three. So the Flyers are down one. Are up one. The boomers have the ball. They get a shot at the rim exactly as they should, five, six seconds left to go. There's an offensive rebound with about a second to go. And the the lack of you know the lack of clock awareness, the lack of game awareness to get the offensive rebound, not even look at the rim, but to hold it to kick it out to Kayla George, who's one of the most experienced players in Australian basketball, who then went and made another extra pass as the clock expired and their season finished. So to have this incredible game for 39 and a half minutes and come down, the boomers would have to be kicking themselves, that they let the clock expire without even shooting the ball at the rim after they'd had their potential game winner. So um, an incredible game. A tough, tough finish for the Boomers and the Southside Flyers go on to play the Townsville Fire in the WNBL Championship Series with Townsville having won their last 14 straight now, and they were really impressive to watch in their semi-final series. So uh, can you it was really interesting the... to watch that series and, and go home and watch the men. But uh, can, you about, uh, you in can you
1: talk about? Can you talk about? Is it pooch, Pouch Pouch? Yeah, Poch. Um, Potch. She so Nadia Poch is a,
0: a Danny Nong Jr. who, when I was director of coaching at Danny Nong, was a part of the club's under sixteen program. And her big brother, I had um, Poch Poch. Um, we had him as part of our Vic Metro State team. Who, when I had him, a, a great athlete. The, the the front of a full court press, long and lean, and you see that. Uh, in his sister now, and for that, what is she now? She must be 18 years old, but the impact she had in that game, uh, especially when the Flyers' import picked up her fourth foul and kept the scoreboard ticking over, I mean, it was was drives into the paint, runners, it was getting on the rim. She's the leanest built player out on the floor, but... Gee, she's courageous, she's quick, she's talented. For her age, she's got an extraordinarily high IQ and unequivocally for me, she's a future opal. Um, Mate, this is how professional we are. As I've been saying this, I'm looking down my notes, I've been recording what i have saying, so now I've got 17 pages of notes. want to get straight. Before we get into the NBA, uh, let, let's have a quick look at our uh, our Hoop City Raise Your Game Award and, and, and tie up this uh, this NBL segment. Of course, the award goes to somebody who's raised their game and we gave it to Angus Glover last week knowing how well he did, but surely only one standout contender, if for nothing else, for the last five minutes of basketball he played in yeah, that championship is. series, were they?
1: It had to be Derek Walton Jr. And um, I guess when you're looking uh, for imports, you need you need a closer, so to speak. And Derek Walton Jr. did his thing in that last five minutes and had a ball and a string, made the right plays, closed out the game the way that you want an import to close out the game. Um, he was a one-man wrecking crew, essentially, in that last five minutes and... When it's nut-cutting time, uh, he got the job done, and uh, that's why he has raised his game to the next level.
0: Let's shift this this across to the NBA. and I
1: I want to have a, a
0: closer look. We're not going to get too far in depth, but we've always had this conversation around talent versus culture, and we've both been around teams with incredible culture and we've both been around teams who have had less than exemplary culture. Now, there were two really high-profile trades leading up to the trade deadline and across the All-Star weekend. Uh, The Dallas Mavericks and the Brooklyn Nets. So the Mavericks, in their attempt to solidify themselves as a championship contender, uh, traded for Kyrie Irving and gave up Tim amongst others. Um, Since Kyrie Irving uh, joined the Mavericks, the Mavs have gone 6-9. They've dropped from 5th to 8th in the West and they are the third worst defensive team in the NBA. The Nets, on the other hand, who most people thought, look, they're just going to fall into this abyss and fall out of playoff or even play in contention, they've found their feet. And a couple of losses in the last week or so, but they've actually got a better record than what the Mavs have had in the same time with the pieces that the Mavs threw back, Dorian Finney-Smith being the other key one, of course, but they've gone seven and nine in that same time, a better record than the Mavs, and they've dropped from fifth, just one position to sixth in the East. So my question was, though, uh, would, would you ever, and I described it at the time as It's a little bit like watching my daughter date the wrong guy. It's, I don't want to watch. It's like it's a train wreck waiting to happen. I hope the Mavs get out of this okay. Um, Is Kyrie Irving about to ruin another franchise? And how do you evaluate someone that talented versus the impact they have on your culture?
1: Uh, It's funny. I, I, I like listening to Bill Simmons, and he actually spoke about this trade. With, with Dallas and in hindsight, I think he only spoke about it yesterday, and he said, we're going to look back at this as an irritated pimple with an ingrown hair or something along those lines. Um, <clears throat> what they got in offensive talent, they substituted out defence and their defence has taken a severe hit. Um, you could look at Kyrie being an issue with it, I look at it as the balance of the team is all out of whack now. They, they, they don't have a defensive identity. Um, Jason Kidd is still mucking around with his lineups. Christian Wood's game time has gone down a lot. Um, but when you look at the Dallas Mavericks, who, who do they have on the defensive end outside of Josh, who wants to play defense, who, who is their defensive catalyst and, and who follows them? Um, they don't have it. Whereas you look at a Brooklyn team, you could sell to them like we're the replaceables, essentially. We we have an opportunity to go out every night and prove people why we're better than advertised. Um, I, I think you look at those guys that went to Brooklyn, they've got a new lease on life some of them get more responsibility than what they had and they're taking it with two hands and running with it. Uh, if you could do the trade all over again, I'm sure Dallas would not do this trade. They you would, you would find a way to bolster your defense, not get another superstar. I understand that Luka wanted to play with another quote-unquote all-star, um, but I don't think this is the right all-star for them to be playing so, you mentioned
0: the Christian Woods minutes have gone down, and we both follow the Mavericks pretty pretty closely. At what stage do you believe Jason Kidd needs to literally look down the net fen- down the bench and say, "Look, we're just going to be shit defensively, and play their big three, and say we're going to just try to score the ball. Kyrie, you play forty. Luca, you play forty. Christian Wood, you play 40. And those last two spots become interchangeable with guys who can at least score the ball because, you know, it's like you get one or two bad defensive guys on your team, you're a bad defensive team. You might as well put guys on the floor who can score it if you're going to be bad defensively anyway.
1: Oh, Openly say, I, I don't think Jason Kidd's a good coach. <laughs> I, well, that's been swept
0: under the rug a little bit <laughs> since he got the job and there'd be a Brooklyn Nets and a Milwaukee Bucks who would probably agree with you.
1: Correct. Uh, and whether you say offensively, we're just going to outscore you, you're still not going to win an NBA Championship A, or whether you say I'm going to stick to my guns and try and be defensive, uh, you don't have the the cattle to be a defensive team, so you're not going to win an NBA championship. Um, I don't think there is a right answer in this. I think, I think Dallas is stuffed. If you look at the West, the West is wide open at the moment. There are so many different contenders that could come out of the West. Uh, everyone's and a little bit. Still
0: used to, and if, let's call there being, in my estimation, at least six genuine.
1: Well, contenders we'll go, to win the West. Can, do you think Denver can win? Yes. Do you think Sacramento can win?
0: Oh, as much as they're now a number two seed, I'd probably say no. But let's, as a number two seed, let's say yes.
1: Do you think Memphis can win?
0: If Jar comes back, yes.
1: Do you think Phoenix can win?
0: Absolutely.
1: Do you think the Clippers can win? Absolutely. Do you think Golden State Warriors can win? Absolutely. Do you think Minnesota can win? No. Do you think Dallas can win? No. Do you think the Lakers can win? Surprisingly, yes, now. And, and then, I can't believe I'm saying that. And so you look at all these teams, and they all have their own story, like Denver's shit at the moment. I'd, I personally think that Sacramento is the most likely to come out of the West at the moment. You think, uh, you
0: think the Kings are most likely, over Phoenix,
1: with Kevin uh, Durant, Devin Booker. Well, Kevin Durant hasn't played with this team. I know that he can fit in anywhere. But you can't deny what Sacramento has been doing. This They've season. been extraordinary. They've I still been think
0: great. it takes one look at it before you get out of the West.
1: Memphis Memphis, in a world where Ja Morant does come back, but there's rumours that he won't be back yeah, this season.
0: rumours that it's a lot worse than what people know.
1: Yeah, uh, Phoenix we spoke about, Clippers all hedge on health Yes, at the end of the day. As did the um, Lakers. Uh, uh, and then you can't discount a Steph Curry, a Clay Thompson, a Draymond Green trio. So you've got multiple teams that you think can do it, and yet Dallas isn't one of those teams at the end of the day. Um had they not made the trade, I probably would be inclined to say that they've got an opportunity to win. It's the incredible
0: West. isn't it Did you trade up to become a contender and get further away?
1: Correct So so,
0: so, so let's come back to the theme. Let, let's put a pin in Kyrie for, for a second.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So the Lakers and Clippers of course made their trade of Russell Westbrook on the 20th of February. The Clippers proceeded to start Russell Westbrook and lose their first five games. Again, they traded for Russell Westbrook, believing that he would bring them closer to an NBA championship. It took Tyron Lue, and credit to Tyron Lue here, that long to figure out, I think, that the club had made a mistake and started reducing Russell Westbrook's minutes and finished or stopped having Westbrook finish games. They've now gone and won their last four. But they've gone from fourth to fifth in the West and they've got a record under 500 since they traded for Westbrook. Now, the Lakers, who for all intents and purposes just dumped him and got nothing back in return, even without LeBron and even without Anthony Davis for a couple of games, have gone six and four and moved from 13th into, it changes each day, but into a play-in position. So for me, I'll look at both of those and think Russell Westbrook and Kyrie Irving are undoubtedly, over the course of their careers, two of the most talented players to play the game, at at one stage or another, top five players in the NBA, talent-wise. But, geez, they're finding a way to kill teams, aren't they now?
1: I still claim that Kyrie, in this instance, just doesn't fit the team that he's on. Like, the I don't tra- think he fits like, any team now. But I don't think it is a question of Kyrie's basketball talent. I question Russell Westbrook's basketball talent of, of, of fit.
0: Now you do because of his inability to shoot the basketball.
1: Correct, correct. But if you look at what he was doing at the Lakers, if you look at what he was doing uh, at the Clippers... Uh, He he is the issue.
0: Well, he still thinks he's 10 years ago, Russell. He still thinks he's OKC Westbrook.
1: And he's not. Not even close. Clearly. I'd even take Washington Wizards Russell Westbrook (laughs) over the current Russell Westbrook that we're seeing. Um, I see Russell Westbrook playing basketball style as an issue to mesh with anyone. I don't see Kyrie Irving's basketball style as an issue uh, with any team. But maybe may and this is the other thing, when we can only we only know what we know from afar. You've
0: just you've just made Kyrie Irving's basketball style an issue in Dallas. You didn't mention his personality. You just mentioned his defense I said, ability.
1: I but but you can't put all his defense it's the parts that have been taken out of Dallas defensively, that has created the issue. We know what Kyrie is offensively. I'm saying I have more of an issue with Russell Westbrook as a quote-unquote locker room cancer than what I do with Kyrie. And that might make me very polarising in my views on this, Uh, but Kyrie isn't putting team defence into place. Kyrie isn't uh, having a lack of rim protection from the bigs. Are Luca and Kyrie the best defenders? No, they're both terrible and their team reflects how terrible they are defensively. Russell Westbrook, I'm not sure what he brings offensively or defensively on either side of the floor. And as Darvin Ham found out and as Ty Lu is currently finding out, you just can't play him essentially.
0: It's going to be an interesting watch for the last
1: 12 to 15 games. Um, Which one would you prefer out of those two? Would you rather sell the team? No, 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 no. If you had to pick one of those two that you had to play with or had to coach, which one of those two would you'd rather have
0: right now at the same price? it's it's got to be Kyrie just for his skill. But if I wanted but, if you were able to fit them into a salary cap, and I guess I'm a little bit biased here because I know how friendly Westbrook is to my daughter and the people at UCLA and both teams, and I I see that side as well, that I wonder how much you'd be able to turn that into a positive or a neutral impact in the locker room given the right locker room and, and the right role. Uh, Speaking of my daughter Izzy, the uh, the NCAA tournament begins this weekend and we'll give her a a quick shout out. The UCLA Bruins came in as a four seed. They get home court advantage through the first two rounds of the tournament, which is exciting for them, having missed uh, last year's tournament and went all the way through to the final of the NIT. But um, you mentioned a couple of weeks ago and there are three Aussies who we believe will find their way back to the NBL next season. And not only that, have significant impact for whichever team they end up uh, end up at. And we know that most of the league wants each of these three players. So I'm going to give you three names um, along with their statistics. And I just would like you to comment briefly on uh, what you know as them as players and perhaps where you think they might fit and how they might impact the NBL. So the first one was yours, uh, Taryn Armstrong. Uh, he plays with his brother Trey at Cal Baptist, Tasmanian kid, averaging 11 points, four rebounds and five assists per game. Uh, sounds like he won't get all the way through to his senior year and the rumour is, according to our Has Been Hoops podcast and you specifically, that Taryn Armstrong and perhaps his brother Trey return or begin their careers in the NBL next season. Talk to us about the Armstrong boys.
1: Well, I think they're just a good story in general. uh, I think they both have opportunities to probably get on NBL rosters. I I think they're both high IQ sort of players. Um, It doesn't surprise me that both have an opportunity to get picked up and it wouldn't surprise me if it's Brisbane that does it under Justin Shuler especially with Jason Kidd rumoured to be on the way out and, and, and a need for a point guard. So if you get an import point guard and you, you get Armstrong in to be the backup, um, it's always difficult when there's brothers together on a team um, and trying to make that fit. Maybe maybe ones in Brisbane. Maybe ones in. Do you think Tasmania. they need to get away
0: from that? It's almost like they've been too interconnected for too long. For my liking, I think it'd do them both good to break up.
1: I, I believe so too. And I was going to say, um, one one might land in Tassie. One might land in Brisbane. Uh, who, who knows with that? But either way, both uh, both talented juniors that will forge their own way uh, in the NBL. I tend to think Trey. Trey's only
0: choice might be Tasmania uh, to have that home court, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: home state uh, opportunity. Um, It was interesting just to divert for a second every now and again, as I'm sure you do as well, we get phone calls from AFL clubs and AFL scouts asking us about potential crossover athletes from basketball to football. And there've been a few who've done it well. There've been a few who've struggled and have been out of the system really quickly, but Trey's name was one that kept coming up when clubs would call me to go to the AFL. And I always enjoy more speaking to the clubs whose first question is, do you believe this player will make it as a pro? Because we won't approach them if you believe they've got a professional basketball career ahead of them. If you believe that they've reached their peak as a basketball player in college or at a semi-professional level and you think, a professional AFL career would would be great for them personally. Yeah, we'll make the call. a bit. But Trey's been one. Will Tattersall's another uh, who probably for me, Trey, if he plays in the NBL, he'd want to do well really, really quickly in order to stick. But I guess for him knowing there's AFL clubs banging his door down, he might have a plan B. Hey, the second one. Uh, at Montana University, Josh Bannon um, averaging 15, 9, and 4. An absolute rock-solid power forward, small forward, left-handed, shoots the ball. I think he's shooting it at 35% from three this year, but great touch. Um, really, really tough kid. Your thoughts on him?
1: Oh, I think you just summed it up well. A tough kid, I think, between Josh and the next kid we'll talk about. Uh, you can't get too tough for coming out of the college system. He would be a sought after player. I think every club should would make a play to try and get him on 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 their roster. You always love a lefty; uh, they just make things look a little bit a little bit better than what us right-handers do at the end of the day. But I think he'll be a very sought after name in free agency, and I, I wouldn't be surprised, especially the Melbourne clubs. Um, his his ability to to play at home back in Victoria uh, would. I think that would bode well for both clubs to, to get him on the roster. So, South East Melbourne Phoenix for him then? Well, you, you said it, not me.
0: Uh, no, I'm asking.
1: Oh, you said it, not me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, just going back to Taron, I'll throw a really interesting comparison at you. For what Josh Giddy is in the NBA, can Taryn Armstrong be that in the NBL? He's about four inches smaller, and I've seen them both play against each other. He's three years older than what Josh was when he got to the NBA. Um, can he be that in the NBL?
1: Um, look, he's definitely on NBA draft watch. Uh, he's and could definitely, sneakily go late second? Correct. Uh, he, he's He's got that opportunity because he's got that sort of game, the... The thing with Josh in the NBL that stood out was his maturity and basketball IQ, um, even in a rookie season. He he sort of had it in spades. And Taryn has that same sort of game where he's got a very, very high basketball IQ. Like you said, he's a, he's a bit shorter than what Josh is. Uh, but could he do what Josh did? Absolutely he could.
0: It's a big wrap, isn't it? Now, the last one you've alluded to and another one and – we both love him, and for those of you who've been around the game for a long time, think Mika Vacona in his prime, and you might just get Kelly Lepepe. Loyola Marymount University averaging 14.7 rebounds and an assist per game. An undersized big, and uh, the, you know, there's, there's things you remember about players, and I coached Kelly for four years at Victoria Metro and a little bit on the national team we break the group up and we take him down and I'll take the bigs for 15 minutes and Darren Perry would take the guards and we'd do some contact stuff and I'll tell you what I've never been hit as hard by an 18 19 year old kid as what I was by Kelly he is a man a monster he oh. I've had, I've had clubs and coaches call me about Kelly yeah but he's a little bit undersized but he's a little all of this kid, he will turn up and just compete physically from the day he walks into this league and be one of those Mika Vacona guys or Pero Cameron guys that fans fall in love with and will be much, much better than I think clubs know what they're getting when they sign him.
1: I think the one thing I think about with Kelly is just a winner. like Right. If you, if you were to take nothing else out of this conversation... The kid just finds a way to win. You're even looking at Loyola Marymount this year. They were able to beat St. Mary's. They were able to beat Gonzaga. It was the first time they've beaten Gonzaga as a school in, I think it was in 40-something years. And Kelly was a big part of that. And um, when you look at Kelly, he doesn't look necessarily like a basketball player. Micah Vacona would be the best uh, comparison on how he plays, physical, sets great screens. The only thing that Kelly's got that Micka didn't is Kelly's expanded his game where he can knock down an open three-point shot. Um, if I was a GM of basketball at any club in the NBL, this kid might be the first kid that I try and sign coming out of college just because... He is someone that just moves the chains for you as an organization in the right direction. So picking up on that, I'll ask you
0: a similar type of question than what you asked me 10 minutes ago. You're the general manager of an NBL team and you have to pick one of the three, Taryn Armstrong, Josh Bannon or Kelly Le Pepe. You only get one. Who do you pick?
1: Uh-huh. bastard. Um, Look, I'm going to say Taron Armstrong as my first choice because I think his ceiling is greater than everyone else's. Um, but it'd be just in front of a Kelly Le Pepe. You'd
0: probably man. always say that Australian, genuinely talented Australian point guards are rare too, rarer okay. than power forwards.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the only reason that I'd go that way. Taron, I believe, will be in a class of his own as a, as a rookie guard this season.
0: How's NBL One training going, mate? How, when does the season start? When can people who listen to our podcast start paying a little bit more attention to the NBL One West?
1: Uh, first game's the end of the month on the 31st, we've got a double header. See if I can it through a header, i might be the first player to get be on uh, minutes management <laughs> <laughs> ever um but training's going really well uh it's been great we've got gorjak gack from the brisbane bullets now in town and training with us and he makes a huge difference to our club um we're excited about it and tra- training's been fun i mean for me personally it's just been great being around in the team environment again, more than anything else. And uh, I'm excited. Uh, We've got a lot of young kids, uh, a lot of great talent and just to play my part in the team again. And um, every now and then, you know, if you had a massive dunk at training and you dunked on someone and everyone would be, ooh, ah, and maybe shut it down. If I get a dunk on five on zero, uh, most of the kids lose their mind, which is fantastic. and. And the coach has already said, if, if I if I dunk on someone at practice, the training would be finished straight away. So I've got goals this year. You haven't had I've anyone
0: giving you a little boost early in a practice
1: session by chance? Not not yet, but the season's rookies. still young. Yeah, <laughs> well, we are dealing with rookies. Uh, uh, no, it's been a lot of fun and uh, I'm, I'm really excited. For the, for the year ahead. I'm excited for, for the team and I'm excited just to be back on the court again. As
0: excited as you are to play, I think I'm even more excited to sit back and have a beer and watch you play all the way from back here in Melbourne on a live stream. But, uh, hey, uh, that'll almost do it for today, but encourage you. We had this fantastic chat with your old agent, Mark Daniel Moldovan, in our first ever interview. Uh, episode of a podcast uh, that's a previous one uh wherever you're listening to this one but if you haven't had a chance to listen to that that was just an incredible chat it was insightful it, it was honest it was probably bit fair to say were they more than what we thought we might get publicly from Dan and we're really really appreciative and um We've got another ripper lined up next week. We've got my old Russian teammate and one of the best storytellers, and another really, really inter- interesting perspective on basketball and life. Paul Shirley joining us, so we can't wait. you wait to bring you that interview also. But uh, were well, though? Go and get that body right. Um, we'll chat to uh, to you and Paul next week, and when we pick up on these regular podcasts from here on in, we'll uh, we'll flip it over. We'll. We'll start with the NBA. We'll switch our attention there. We'll pick up on some NBL rumours and uh, see how we go. Sounds good. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Werther. And uh, thanks to everyone at Hoop City. Don't forget to visit them at hoopcity.com.au. We'll speak to you all later.